This morning we're going to continue on our study from the Sermon on the Mount. And as we've gone through and looked at the blessings of the Beatitude and how wonderful and beautiful they are. And you might be thinking this morning after the scripture reading that, is he going to preach the same one as last week? So I've heard of a preacher doing that before. Uh, one preacher told me, I said, I preached the sermon and I thought nobody was listening. So I preached it again the next week. And he said, only two people caught it. So I think he was right. So uh, I'm not going to do that. But we're going to go to... Matthew uh, 5, verse 17 through 20. And here, look at the words of Christ and build upon it. And so we're looking at uh, the, the blessings of being in the kingdom of Christ. And Christ says that we have entrance and blessing in the kingdom and the heavenly kingdom. And uh, as we think about those beatitudes of what it means to all those qualities that we take on as being meek and merciful and compassionate and being peacemakers, all those come in here. And so, and we're also saying here that God is, Christ has opened up this presentation of his word in such a beautiful and amazing way. He starts with blessing. You know, these are the blessings. This is the character of his kingdom. And then he's telling his disciples and the crowds that have gathered around him, he's telling them, you are salt and you are light of the earth. And in this, he says that they're blessed to have, to, to have him. And we know that we, we're blessed to have Christ. And to be the salt and the light of the world and to have Christ fulfill the law. Uh, we, can't, um, we can only fulfill the law through Jesus Christ. We can't do that on our own. So we're going to talk more about that in a moment. And so I hope that you're seeing here as we slow down in the Sermon on the Mount. When I kind of read through some of these texts and I think back upon my own personal reading, I do a lot of, I guess I do too much surface reading, you know, I'm trying to read so much. So every Wednesday night we'll study about five chapters a week or six chapters, and you can read through them really fast. And so I'm blessed because I I get to teach it that I got to slow down and look at it. And so I hope we do the same thing here as we slow down and look at this wonderful passage and what Jesus has to say here about himself feeling the law, fulfilling the law. Before we do that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are holy and you are almighty. Father, we rely and trust on you for everything. Our lives in your hands, you've given us the breath of life and you have formed us in the womb. Father, we stand in awe of who you are. Father, we thank you for your great word, which has been spoken as you spoke all things into creation, as the word has come in the flesh in Jesus Christ and his life, and that we can read the words and his teachings now and take them to heart. Father, may these things fill our hearts and our minds. May we carry them with us. May they shape our lives. May we share the truth with others. And we ask that you give us the strength and boldness to do that. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we'll start here in Matthew chapter 5. Let's get our Bibles out. I'm going to read verses 17 through 20. We're going to draw some observations from the text. As I'm looking at this, um, you know, as, as a preacher, I also think about Christ and the way that he preaches here. He starts out with the, the blessings and this great encouragement of the identity of being a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. And then as he, as he goes on, he's, he's, get, he's got an opening right here to a list of number of scriptures that he's going to address. He's got six different statements from the law of Moses that he is going to fill up for us, that he's going to fulfill in teaching it. Uh, all right, and so we're going we're gonna to think about this a bit deeper. All right, let's begin reading here, Matthew chapter 5, 17 through 20. Jesus says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. 
All right, and there would be some thinking there that he's going to, you know, in saying that you can destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. And so there, there's some thought and accusation of that that will come against Christ. So again, he says, I'm not going to destroy the law and the prophets. Notice that, that phrasing there, the law and the prophets. He's talking about the Old Testament. I'm not going to destroy it. I'm going to fulfill it. All right, look at verse 18. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. All right, so the word we read um, before, he says, I'm not going to destroy it, I'm going to fill it, fulfill it, is a word for filling up. And so you kind of think about the Old Testament sense of not being a full cup here. That'd be a, a way of thinking of it. But he's going to fulfill it. Now in verse 18, he says there that the law will be with us until it is fulfilled. And that's a different Greek word meaning to be accomplished. So it's going to be accomplished. He says, heaven and earth will not pass away. That this is the Old Testament, the law and the prophets will be here. And then he says, not one jot or tittle. In Greek, it says not one iota, which is the smallest letter in Greek. It's uh, like an I. And that's what it looks like. And then he says there, not one mark or stroke by the word tittle there. All right, let's keep reading the rest of it, verse 19 and 20. Whoever therefore breaks or releases one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So we got a lot here we've been reading so far as far as the kingdom of heaven, the blessings of being in the kingdom. And here he has words of exhortation about entering into the kingdom of heaven. And it comes with an urging and also a warning. So just some my observations here, and you might see some other things. So Christ here again says he came to fill up, to fulfill the law and the prophets. What does that mean? What's he, what's he saying there? And again, that would be the Old Testament. You can follow along and fill in here if you have the bulletin. Uh, also, keep going here. Some other things I see here. Again, Jesus declared that not even the smallest letter or stroke would cease from the law until all has come to be. The word there for being accomplished there is meaning it all coming to be, all that is going to be fulfilled. And we'll get some more discussion on that in a moment. Another thing that Christ says here, and I agree with the commentators on this, is when Jesus says in regards to anyone releasing, leasing, loosening, or breaking the least of the commandments here, what is he saying? The person who looses the least of these commandments. And I think he's not being restrictive to the law and the prophets here. And I agree with the commentators. He's talking about fulfilling the law and the prophets, all the commands, including his own, that he's about to begin giving here in the Sermon on the Mount. So the person who loosens the least of these commands is least in the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to think as you're, as you're thinking about this, what is Jesus's view of the Bible? of the scriptures that have been given to him. And what is he saying here about the commandments of God and God's word? I mean, what if we took a certain part of the Bible and said, I don't like this part, I want to remove it. There are a lot of people that do that today, that ignore certain things. We might be in the temptation of doing that, of going through the scriptures and saying, well, this, well, this isn't that big of a deal. I can ignore it. I can lay it aside. And what does Christ say about that? It would be the least in the kingdom of heaven. 
I, I don't want to do that. I want to know what the scriptures are. I think that has compelled me for a long time in being a student of the Bible is I want to know what the Bible says. And I don't want to just take and assume what has been given to me. I want to study it for myself. I encourage you to do that. You know, 1 Corinthians 14 says when you're listening to the one speaking, examine what he says and weigh them out. Make sure that he's proclaiming the truth to you, that he's giving you the word of God. I encourage you to do that this morning. But Christ declared also here, as we're looking at that, that statement, he says that those who do and teach, notice that, we, we've got to do it and we've got to teach it. He says those who do and teach it are to be great in the kingdom. He doesn't say the greatest here. He says, but they're great in the kingdom. They do it and they teach it. And again, he's encouraging that, that we not minimize any of the commandments of God and not any commandment and instruction that comes from Christ. And then we see this as well, that each person's righteousness, and this is, this is compelling, isn't it? That it must increase more. It must increase more. And I use both words there because he seems emphatic here in Greek and using two different words to say increase and then, then some. And then the, the, he says that our righteousness be greater than the scribes. And the only way I can describe the scribes to you very briefly is these are the scholars, so that your righteousness must be greater than the scholars, the scribes, and the Pharisees, which would be the mainstream preachers of the time. So you think about that. Christ telling us and instructing us, and um, those who are a part of the, the sect of the Pharisees that are the mainstream of Judaism and their teaching, that you've got to increase and be more than them. Well, how are you going to do that? And it's, he says here it's in the fulfilling and the law of Christ of which Christ fulfills for us. And it says, if we don't do this, then we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. All right, so how do we have that? How do, what do we do with that? And I think what we're going to see in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount there is the rest of the commandments are there filling up the law where Christ is completing and accomplishing it so that we do these things and we teach these things and it's only by Christ that, the th- that these things are fulfilled. It's only by Christ that I can enter into the kingdom of God, that I can have righteousness that increases, that I can live in a different way. And the great fulfillment we see here, that's for every one of us, is this. Romans, Romans chapter 13 tells us this, that we fulfill the law, how? By loving. And when we love others, we fulfill the law, and therefore we keep the commandments. Other passages might come to mind in Romans chapter 8 of the fulfilling of the law and commandment. And and it comes from love. Galatians teaches the same thing. Galatians chapter 5, I think verse 14, 15, says again, we're fulfilling the law. And we have that ability and do so by the love of Christ. So it's only by Jesus that, and by Christ that we have this greater understanding, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, to where we have an increase in righteousness. Now we follow God by our heart. So we think about what was going on at that time with many of the Pharisees. They were worshiping with their lips, but their heart weren't in it, wasn't in it, which is uh, Matthew chapter 15. And so we want to make sure that our hearts are in it, that we're keeping God's commandments by the love that we have for him and that we see ultimately who Jesus Christ is. So Christ fulfilled the law and the prophets, and he does so by the authority of his promises, the Beatitudes, and by his commandments, which we will be looking at in the weeks to come. Jesus received and trusts the Old Testament. This, I think, is significant too. How did Christ receive the Bible? When it came to him, he received the Old Testament as it delivered to him over centuries, as has been passed down to him. 
There are many people today who ask a lot of questions, a lot of good questions. It's like, how can I know that the Bible is reliable that I've received today? And we have Christ here, the, the, the Bible being passed down to Him. And He doesn't here say that, well, there's some things that have been changed and altered. He says not one letter is going to change and not one stroke is going to change from this Word. Not until heaven and earth pass away. He says nothing will change in regards to the law. So I think that's encouraging to me is to look at how Jesus viewed the Bible. How He approached the Scriptures and received them. He trusted the Old Testament. He taught from it and he fulfilled it and taught more upon it. I think about Christ's words here in Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 45. It says, And Jesus said to them, he's talking to his disciples as he's, after he's risen from the dead. He says, These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things, notice that, all things must be fulfilled which were written in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms concerning Me. Everything. And we see Christ here saying, in regards to the Old Testament, the Bible, I've fulfilled them. I am fulfilling them. He says He is the fulfillment of them. He says all things must be fulfilled as they are written. written. He's talking about the Scriptures. In the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. And that's the whole of the Old Testament. And He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. And I think I would encourage you to have a view of the Bible that Jesus has. Jesus' view of the Bible is it's unalterated. It is the truth. It is the Word of God. When Christ just before, in Matthew chapter 14, was being tempted by Satan, what's He do? He quotes from Scripture. He quotes from the Bible. He recognizes the strength and the power of the Word of God. Jesus, again, later on, he, he says this throughout the Gospels. He says nothing's going to pass from the law. He reiterates that he is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. I like what Christ says in John chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. And again, he's making a point there. They're getting on to Jesus and saying, you make yourself equal with God. You make yourself out to be God. And he says, well, the scripture says, and he quotes from the Psalms, you are God's. And there is a reference there to those who put themselves as equal with God, who put themselves as though they are God. And he's turned the the argument against them. And then he says to them, and the scripture cannot be broken. The view of Christ in the Bible we see here from the very beginning, he's about to teach from it is this, that it's reliable and trustworthy, that it's authoritative, and that the scripture cannot be broken. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? Do you trust in the Bible? So I think it's a great thing to know these things, to know how the Bible has been presented to us. But just by knowing Jesus, reading about His words and His teaching, it encourages me to say God's providence, His grace and His power has preserved the Word of God. It has brought it down to us. It's good to know some history about that. I think about the New Testament. There's over 5,800 Greek manuscripts. There's about almost 20,000 other manuscripts in Latin and Coptic and other languages that have been passed down that confirm to us that the New Testament has not been changed. We've got early church writers verbatim quoting almost the whole of the New Testament where we can see that none of the, the New Testament has been altered. We can take the Old Testament as we read it and if you're able to, and you can read Hebrew, you could go and look at uh, the, air, the, um, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and you can read the Hebrew, and you could be able to examine there and look at the, the texts that have been passed down, and what is that the Word of God has not been changed. And that, the Dead Sea Scrolls is about from about 200 B.C. up to about A.D. 70. 
Um, those are dated. And then we have the Greek Old Testament, which dates to about 270 to 250 B.C. And the Septuagint, as it's referred to. These things help to confirm us and tell us that God's Word has not been altered. We have early church, I mean, all, early church writers. We also have early Jewish writers telling us and revealing and showing that word of the Scriptures have not changed. The New Testament itself quotes from the Old Testament as a reliable truth. And so, as a, as a Christian, I'm very encouraged with Christ's introduction to His teaching right here. Not, nothing's going to pass away. Nothing's going to pass away from the Law and the Prophets. And that it's fulfilled in the coming of Christ, the coming of the Messiah. So if Jesus again received the Bible as the Word of God, then what should His followers do with the Bible that's been delivered to them? What should we do with the Scriptures? How should we rely upon it? How should we teach it? How should we take it to heart? What should we think of it? The prophet Jeremiah predicted the coming of the New Testament, the coming of the New Covenant in Jeremiah 31. And you can read about this in the book of Hebrews chapter 8. And so there in Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah um, says that there is coming of a better covenant, a new covenant, that the old thing is going to pass away. And we see that here in Hebrews chapter 8. Look at Hebrews 8 and verse 7. The writer of Hebrews says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. In other words, that the, the law and the prophets that had been, de- been delivered, that there was a hardness in the heart of the people. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 19. So that it wasn't any imperfection on God's part, of course, but on people. And that in the Old Testament, it was not complete. It was not filled up until the coming of Christ. And so it had fault to it in that sense. Fault in the sacrifices were not complete and fulfilled. Um, And so we have it perfectly in the sacrifice of Jesus. Forgiveness and mercy and grace and the commandments of Christ. And so we see here, then no place would be sought for a second. But his point here is that there is a new covenant. In Hebrews 8 and verse 13, very last verse of chapter 18, is building on this. And so the writer of Hebrews, he is doing an exposition on Jeremiah 31. And he says this, he says, a new covenant he has made the first obsolete. He says there's a new covenant he has made the first obsolete. We're under a new covenant, a new agreement, a new contract with God, wherein the blood of Christ has been established that we have the forgiveness of sins. You don't have that under the law and the prophets. He says, now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. I think about this passage here in Hebrews 7, verse 18 through 19. We have a mention of, of that nothing can be made perfect by the law and the prophets. So the writer says, For on the one hand there is a nulling of the former commandment. And this is the law regarding priests. So you had a law, and here Christ comes as another priest of the order of Melchizedek. Greater and superior to the, to the Levitical priesthood. He says, For on the one hand there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness. Notice that weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. So it's by the New Testament we draw near to God. It is in Christ that we have the filling up and the fulfillment of Christ. Not a destruction, but a filling up of those prophecies, those predictions of the Messiah to come in Jesus. So the Old Testament, it is incomplete without Jesus Christ. 
And I thank God as we've been studying, we've, we've, I thank God we're not under that covenant, um, that I'm not an Israelite living under that or a Jew living under those commandments. I thank God for that. I think it's wonderful that we're under the covenant of the New Testament. It's encouraging. But as we've been reading, we just read through Leviticus. And I think if there isn't a better book to tell you you don't want to live under the old law, it's probably the book of Leviticus. So we've gone through it and we've seen, look at these sacrifices, look at all the blood, look at the commandments, uh, look at the, the judgment of execution upon the wicked. So we see that. But then we see Christ on our behalf, standing in our place, bringing atonement for us, bringing in the fulfillment of the Old Testament into the New Testament. I love, I love this. And, and so some people would come to this and they would think, well, what do we do with the Old Testament? So we've been reading Leviticus and we're starting to read numbers together in our studies on Wednesday night. What do we do with the Old Testament? Well, in very much context and reference to the things that take place there in numbers, listen to what is said here by Paul. Paul says in Romans 15 and verse 4, he says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. So we have the Old Testament. Why? For us to learn from it. Not to be set aside, not to be ignored. It's a blessing to have it. It is certainly a text we we have to take as coming from God and worth our time and study. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And so in the Old Testament, I learn a lot about the nature of God and who my Creator is. I get to stand in awe of Him. I get to worship Him. And I see who He is. But I also have hope looking to the future from the Old Testament perspective of the Christ. In the coming of Jesus, now I look forward to the resurrection, to the hope that is promised right here in Romans 15 and verse 4. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 11 says this, Now all these things happened to them as examples, talking about these events that happened in the Old Testament. And they were written for our admonition. They're written for our learning, for our instruction, for our teaching. They're written for a reason, for that we, we take from them and gain from them. So we need to read the Scriptures. And as we listen to Jesus here, as He begins to teach from them, it should be adamant upon us that we know the Word of God. And then we read here, they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends or the completion of the ages has come. We have the better covenant, the eternal covenant of God. So we see this. We see that Christ has filled up the Old Testament. He is the filling up of the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of it. And the result is a greater righteousness and a better testament from our Creator. It is better promises. It's the, it's the beatitudes that we have there of the nature of being a disciple of Christ and being a part of His, His kingdom. I reflect upon Ephesians chapter 2 as well. And here we have this description you know, in the Old Testament, and as Jesus made mention, he talks, about, he talks about the law and the prophets. And in the New Testament, the New Testament is often referred to in a different way as the apostles and the prophets. Notice this. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, and we see here that the apostles and prophets make up the foundation of the church. There's a picture there in Ephesians 2 of a, strict, of, a, of a temple being built, and that we are a part of that temple. And 1 Peter 2 says we're stones in that temple. So if you, you picture this temple being built up and that you are a part of it, at the foundation and the base of it, the Scriptures say here in Ephesians 2 that is the apostles and the prophets. We rest as the church upon their teaching, 
upon the truth of what the apostles and prophets have been revealed and given to us by the Holy Spirit. And then we have the cornerstone. The cornerstone of that temple is Jesus Christ. And so as I reflect upon the words of Christ this morning, and I think about what He's teaching us here in the Sermon on the Mount, I, I trust in Him and I believe in Him. And if I trust in Christ, then I'm going to trust in Him and what He says about God, and what He says about the Scriptures, and what He says about the Word of God. And when He gives me warning not to take away or to alter the, his, the commandments, the commandments of God in the Bible, I'm not going to do that. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 through 5 says this. Ephesians 3, 3 through 5. Paul says, How that by revelation he, this God, made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already. The mystery, that which was the Old Testament, these prophecies and predictions that were not understood, but now they have been revealed. He says, I've briefly written already, and which when you read. So you here is plural. He's saying there to the congregation at Ephesus, to the church, you read, you read. I encourage you, we need to read. Open your Bibles and read, study, be encouraged. I'd encourage you every morning when you get up, you sit down with your coffee, have it right there in the front of your phone, your Bible, put it there in front of you. Put your Bible out in a place, put it on your kitchen table where you have access to it, where you can read it before the, the dinner that evening when you pray together. So when you read that, he says, you may understand the knowledge of the mystery of Christ. You may understand the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets. And so we have confirmation here in the Scripture. We have the Word of God. We have the Almighty God who has given us the Bible. It will never go, it will never cease, it will never wear away. You know, you, you may damage your Bible and lose it, but the Scriptures will never fade. God's words are enduring forever. And I think it fitting as a part of our invitation to reflect upon that this morning. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy, he, he says here, he says, I don't want you to forget. I want you to remember what you've been taught from the Scriptures that you know very well. And he says that will give you salvation, make you wise unto salvation. I hope that this morning that you're encouraged to go and read the Scriptures, that you will go and become wise in salvation if you haven't put on Christ in baptism, that you know that Jesus Christ was in dead and that you can make confession of that, that in that faith that you will repent of your sins, be baptized, and rise up into the newness of life. It's there in 2 Timothy um, chapter 3 and verse 16 that Paul goes on and he says, every Scripture is God's breath. It's the Word of God. It's spoken from Him. It is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction, and in righteousness, that the person of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Every good work, to be complete, to be furnished, to be equipped, God has given to me. He has given us salvation. I encourage you this morning. You need to obey the gospel and put on Christ in baptism. You can do that. You need prayers and encouragement. You can come forward or encourage you to find someone here to pray with you. Let's stand and sing together.